Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And I'm not going away, but some dirty normal punts to spit all over me. When he spits over me, I'm Ladies and gentlemen, broadcasting from beautiful South Bermondsey, this is Achtung Millwall. Well, hello, dear listeners. Welcome to this week's special mega super duper edition of Achtung Millwall, number 102. My name is, of course, Nick Hart. I am your Lord God of Hellfire for today's show, which um, we're going to actually play with the concepts, basic concepts of the arrows of time. Now, anyone familiar with the arrow of time knows that it always goes forward. But when you're Lord God of Hellfire, like me, on this show, you can play around with it a little bit. So we're going to open up this week's edition with some fantastic coverage done for me yesterday by Omar Ronane up there at Berry. I'm then going to follow it up with um, a conversation I had with John Shipman, our Northern correspondent, a little bit of a review, post-match review with John. And then, dear listeners, um, we're going to rewind the time. I'm going to bring you, for every... Um, Every reward, it's like Pink Floyd album, The Wall. If you don't eat your meat, you can't have your pudding. So we're gonna, you're going to have to pay for your pleasure and you're going to have to endure some coverage of the midweek um, game that I did uh, against Wimbledon. Um, I'm going to leave that to you as to whether you want to fast forward through that or if you want to listen to my warblings. And then finally, after that, we're going to finish off with a special little conversation I had yesterday with Crazy Horse is back. Crazy Horse is back. And he's getting more regular in his old age. Um, and we, we spoke about the, um, the influence of sponsorship on, uh, on various clubs in football. And I hope you enjoy that. So it's going to be a long edition. I hope you've got the endurance to stay with us. If you do, thank you very much. And if you don't, well, it's up to you, isn't it, really? Up to you. You're cool. Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome back to another edition of Okta Millwall. My name is not Nick Hart, unfortunately. Today, you've got to put with me, Omar Ronane. So, today I thought I'd cover the very game in Nick Hart's absence. I think Nick can't make it down to Gig Lane today for whatever reason. 
Um, instead, I thought I'd offer myself up and try and take a plunge at what Nick does on, day, on a weekly basis. One more way down from the Robert Peels pub down to Gig Lane, and I thought I'd just give you a bit of quick preview of team news today. So, by the looks of it, it's an unchanged back four and goalkeeper. So, in goal, we've got Jordan Archer, back four, with Joe Martin left back, Marlon Romeo right back. We've got Tony Craig and Byron Robson in the heart of the fence. In midfield today, we've got a change with Jimmy Abdu coming in. Jimmy's alongside Sean Williams, and we've also got Fred on the well, no, it looks like Fred's up front. We've got David Warren on the right and Shea Ferguson on the left and young Harry Smith up front again. Changes in the team, obviously. We've got Ben Thompson and Aidan O'Brien on the bench. I didn't think Aidan had a bad game on Tuesday night, to be honest with you. And the same goes to Ben Thompson. So I'm quite surprised. Obviously, Jimmy Abdu gives us the 6 out of 10 that we need on away games. I can understand the inclusion. But Ben Thompson, I don't think he deserves to be dropped. Obviously, a noticeable absentee today is Lee Gregory. So it's two games in a row we've missed without Lee Gregory. I think, obviously, Tuesday night's draw, a nil-nil at home to AFC Wimbledon. I think we tested Wimbledon, obviously, Paul Robinson at the back, but with no kind of cutting edge up front, under par to say the least. I think if you're missing your two key strikers, especially from last season, looking at the statistics, and they're the same this season. I think, like I said earlier, O'Brien didn't have a bad game last Tuesday, but he finds himself on the bench today. I'm kind of looking to see David Wall kind of impress. Obviously, long Tuesday, he done all right from playing against AFC Wimbledon. Same for Fred. I mean, it's a big chance for him up front next to Harry Smith. He's paced on the break, perhaps linking up with Harry Smith. It'll be interesting to see. So, onwards and upwards, walking down, like I said, from the pub to Gig Lane. I'm hoping to get there in time. I'm sure we will. And we'll give you some kind of pre-match predictions as we go into the grounds. Achtung, Milbal. Okay, listeners, we've made our way into Gig Lane. And welcome back. So... Pre-match predictions. I mean, Berry on a tough run of form. I think I've seen the rumour going around. It's nine games without a win in the league for them. They find themselves languishing near the bottom, almost in the relegation zone. To be honest with you, I am expecting us to turn home over today. If we're looking to be at the top half, or top end of the table, as I say, we need to be beating teams like Berry away. I'm looking for Fred to make a difference. I mean, no Ed, no Brian up front. No Ben Thompson in the middle. It's a bit of a risk, if you ask me myself. That's my kind of pre-thought kind of trail, really. Because when you're looking at Ben Thompson, I think for me, he's key in our midfield. And you're looking at Aidan O'Brien. Recently, he's just got enough of scoring goals for us. So it's going to be interesting. I'm hoping for a 2-0 win. Very kind of struggling. Not going to score many. I just see us getting a clean sheet and a 2-0 win. That would be nice. I'll catch up with you shortly. Probably during halfway through the first half where we can see how we're getting on and I'll give you a little bit of a verdict to see how we're doing. Okay, listeners, we're back a little bit prematurely after just about before the 15-minute mark. A bit of controversy, you could say. Um, friendly demo in the box. 50-50 battle. Mill fans are making themselves known to the Berry fans. Um, 15 minutes into the game, Freddie Dimmer challenges for 50 50 against the Berry defender in the box, wins the ball, and the referee gives a penalty. However, it seems like he's received that decision. I'm not entirely sure why. It's not looking great for us at the minute. It's not a game for the purists, I have to say, after 15 minutes. I think Berry ain't much offering really much, but to be honest, we're not offering much more ourselves. The Berry fans are in brick cunts. Okay, listeners, we are now at the halfway point. It's not one of the games for the purists of you. I mean, to be honest, there's not much either side. Oh, as a beautiful ball for Ferguson is cleared away by the defending Berry. Um, like I said, I mean, to be honest, going forwards, both sides haven't really got much up front. 
I mean, if you look at Bury themselves, they are struggling with nine games on the loss. I mean, you've got a front Nick Pope and James Vaughan, two kind of season pros. James Vaughan obviously experienced in the Premier League, and Nick Pope, once a Millwall target, was Mr. Dare I say it, Ian Holloway. Um, there's, there's a bit of a threat there. I mean, they've had a couple of half chances, balls into the box, as Ferguson wins Millwall corner. I think with Nick Pope and James Vaughan, you've got a handful of a day, to be honest with you. I mean, it's nothing special, ideally. I prefer Gregory and Morrison, but it's not the worst choice going forward for Berry. But it's definitely an even game so far. Not many chances created. Obviously, the penalty was controversial so far, but I'm not disappointed. But I'm expecting a bit more from Mill as Worrell takes the corner. Harry Smith rises and it's gone over the bar. Harry Smith, not been so bad so far. I mean, he's had a couple of half chances to get his head on the ball. To be honest, he's had a kind of half chances and to be honest, he's not really been able to guide him towards goal too much to test the keeper in goal. Okay, listeners, we are now at half time. So it's Millwall nil. Or should I say the other way out? It's Berry nil. Millwall nil. Not much to report to be honest with you. Obviously, we had that little controversy at the start of the half, 15 minutes in, where the referee, Fred only did threw on goal. I mean, a threw on goal is hard to say, but he's goal sides. Goes for a header after a loose ball, wins the header, beating the defender to the ball. The defender wipes out on your dimmer, and the referee originally gives the penalty. Now, whilst the defender is down for treatment, he consults his linesman, and the linesman, I believe, obviously has a different view, and the referee's happy to go with it and make it, turn it around and rescind the decision and make it a goal kick. I think, obviously, Harris quite clearly on the sidelines was upset about the decision. A lot of the fans, obviously, on our side, as you would expect, upset the decision. To me, he beats the player to the ball and he wins the header. However, it is... It, I mean, you don't often see him given for a penalty to with you. But, I mean, if you're going to give it, it's given. It's hard for the referee to turn his back on it and just change his mind. I mean, if I was him, I wouldn't really change the decision. But there you go. It's been done. For the rest of the half, I mean... Stand out so far, I've been impressed with Sean Williams on our side of things. It seems to be when we play well on the ball, passing it around, it's normally Sean Williams who's giving the ball left and right, making our wingers come into play. Now, Shane Ferguson and Joe Martin on the left-hand side, they've not really offered much to be honest with you. I've been impressed with Ferguson when he's given time on the ball. However, when he's put on the pressure, he's often, to me at least, he bottles the challenge. And to me, I think we could do better on the left-hand side, perhaps with O'Brien coming in. I mean, on the right-hand side, we've got Worrell and Romeo. If anything, we're going to get any success, it will be through the wingers and especially Fred up front. Harry Smith, it's difficult to judge how he's played so far. Um, it's, it's difficult to throw him in and say, go on, Harry, do a job for us. Because, to be honest, we're doing it because we've got injuries to Morrison and we've got injuries to Gregory. So we need someone like Harry Smith to step in. It's quite... It's, I guess they're missing the know-how. We're playing on your demo end obviously Harry Smith up front, and we're looking for them to do a job against a decent centre-halves um, in Bury. I mean, to be honest, it's not necessarily that they've obviously they've conceded many goals recently, because Bury are losing games for fun, but it's more we're looking for them to kind of get the better out of the Bury defence, and at the minute, I feel like we're not doing that. Fred's a nuisance, he's trying to get in behind the back, but we're not really giving him the delivery he deserves getting through on goal. But I feel like if we're going to win this game, we'll have to see some improvement, and perhaps from the bench. O'Brien's obviously... He divides opinion between fans, but he comes on and seems to have a knack for scoring a goal. So I'm looking for O'Brien to come in, perhaps for Ferguson to kind of go for it, or maybe even Joe Martin and push Ferguson to left back. I don't think Ferguson's a winger in this side, but I don't also think he's a winger. In the, he's a left back in this side, so it's difficult to see where he fits in. But if, for me, I'd like to see 
O'Brien's coming on the left, and also Thompson's coming in the middle for Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy's not put a foot wrong, as you expect from Jimmy, to kind of break up play in the middle and offer chances, offer passes towards Williams and obviously try and get play moving. But when you're looking for someone to get hold of the ball and pass it around and also be a nuisance at the same time, I don't think Jimmy could do both. So I'm looking for Thompson to come in, perhaps be a nuisance getting forward and try and get himself a goal. Jimmy's found himself a bit further forward than Williams, but also the threat from Jimmy is a lot less than compared to what the likes of Thompson would offer. Berry, I've been impressed, to be honest. It's not the worst side that you'll see this season. Um, in Nick Pope and James Vaughan, you've got decent centre-forwards who are causing a bit of trouble up front. I think what the battle is for us to win is making sure that the delivery doesn't get to them. I think with Berry down the left and right, they're quite keen on getting the ball into the box as quick as possible. Whether that be from the halfway line, whether it be from the byline, they're looking to get the balls into the box and cause nuisance. So, so far, nil-nil. I still fancy us. We've come into the game later in the half. I mean, we've, we've created more chances than Berry. Like I said, I'm, making, I'm looking for a couple of changes for House to make. It's a good option to have off the bench and we'll see what happens. I, I still fancy a 2-0. If we get a goal early on, we'll see what happens. I'll join you halfway through the second half unless I have anything else noble to come back to. Achtung, Mehlball. We're back prematurely again, guys. And 61 minutes on the clock and James Vaughan, yep, James Vaughan has put Berry 1-0 up. This first thing in the second half we've not actually been terrible. I mean, and he's making the wrong stuff here as well. I have to criticize this. David Worrell's coming off here for Aiden O'Brien. O'Brien coming on, I can understand. But for me, either Ferguson or Martin have got to come off for this sub here. But, oh well, we're not drumming that until after the game, so we'll see what happens. But like I said, ball into the box, free header for James Vaughan. He managed to head it over, the, over Jordan Archer, who's kind of standing still, and off the crossbar. <laughs> Five minutes later, guys, and I'm back again to report. You might have heard on the tannoy there. It's 2-0 Berry, James Vaughan, the goal scorer again. It's just a goal on the break. I mean, we're committing players forward, as you'd expect now, because we're down 1-0. And you just get hit on the break. Number 20's through on goal on the right-hand side, plays it across the goal. James Vaughan, nothing to do apart from guide it to the bottom right corner. Jordan Archer left helpless. Defence all over the place. I mean... We're committing players forward, don't get me wrong. Go on, Fred. It's Fred on your dim on the right. tries to lob the keeper, he lobs him, and number 22 handles the ball on the line to try and save it, like a keeper would there. Wow. <laughs> Call that a live commentary. <laughs> Here we have Berry down to 10 men. It's a penalty. Sean Williams has the ball in his hands. I think a lot of people that were looking to head down the M1 early have just decided to stay around for a little bit longer here. 69 minutes on the clock. Sean Williams here with the penalty. I fancy him here, but we'll see. Sean Williams. Yes! Come on, me! Give us the ball, then. Things are getting a bit nasty here. There's a little scramble in the goal mouth after the goal. Right. It's 2 1. Sean Williams has scored for Millwall. We're back in this. I think I might try and do a rolling commentary to see now at the end of the game. We'll see how we do. Come on, Millwall! From the... No one likes us! No one likes us! No one likes us! No 
Looking over to the subs bench, and I can see a yellow kit. It's being worn by Mill today. I can see a substitution about to be made. Jimmy Abdu's coming off, and we've got Callum Butcher coming into play. I don't know if it's worth knowing, but I've not seen Thompson warm up at all today, so I kind of feel like maybe his exclusion today might have been due to injury, but it's hard to say, of course, but he's on the bench. But Butcher's come on now for Jimmy Abdu. We've got 15 minutes left. Big 15 minutes, maybe. Easy clearance. Oh, Harry Smith here. O'Brien keeps come for it. He scrambled it. Oh! Oh. Butcher, first touch of the ball since he's come on, and he skies it high and wide. I mean, difficult for him to get on target there. He's trying to pick the keeper, but I think the keeper just done enough to put him off there. Fred, now on the right side. He picks out O'Brien. O'Brien to the byline. Corner! Yeah! O'Brien just ended up in the uh, away end there. However, he done enough there, 100%. Flicking the ball onto the defender before he went out for a goal kick. Instead, we're in a, goal, a corner kick. However, the linesman doesn't agree on the left-hand side. <laughs> a lot of Mill fans running over to the linesman, as you expect. Shocking, shocking, shocking decision. Right in front of the away end. And Ferguson on the left-hand side. Goes across Sean Williams. He picks out Joe Martin on the overlap. Joe Martin skips past one. Goes back to Ferguson. Ferguson. Creeps past one. Ball into the box. Fred's there. Oh! Done well there, Fred. Win the header. Placed in the bottom left corner. I've been really impressed with Fred up front today. I thought he's led the line really well alongside Smith. Keeping the ball and making it stick. Almost doing the Gregory roll on the side, and I don't think he's done anything bad today. Ten minutes to go. Sean Williams, perfect header out wide. A loose ball there, and he manages to get it out to Shane Ferguson, who's got the ball. Goes inwards, it's a poor pass towards Callum Butcher, and it's cleared away. Very hard. It's cleared away. Here's Byron Webster. We're definitely on top, as you'd expect, with being against ten men. I feel like we're not making many more chances, though. Interesting little sub here. It's a little bit of a chance here for Pavey. Nine minutes on the clock. Eight minutes on the clock, should I say. It's his chance to be a hero. Here's Shane Ferguson on the left-hand side. It's almost a corner. It's a free kick instead, though. Ball's going to be whipped in. Ferguson. It's clipped in. Butcher's there! Yes! Yes! Callum Butcher! Get in there! The players run out to the fans! Get in there! Wow! Fucking yes! It's 2-2! Two -two. manages to get rid of the ball there, so long hope for the ball. Here's Ferguson. Williams goes out wide towards Marlon Romeo. It's got to be the last chance for Millwall. Here's Romeo. Fred's out there with him. Fred plays it in the box. Um, as you probably tell uh, by the stiffened sound in the background, my phone died after recording the final goal. So if you don't know, it finished three-two as the Virgin train decides to make a message. We're now approaching Stockport. Make sure you have all your luggage and belongings with you. 
Oh. Thank you for travelling with Virgin Train. Well, thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> well, well, how do I describe that? I hope you guys captured the emotion towards the end there. I've really enjoyed covering this for Nick today. Um, I think before I end it, I'd like to give a bit of player rating. So I don't know if Nick's got anything planned, but I'd like to go through the teams quickly. So Archer, I mean, done nothing wrong. Obviously conceded two goals, but I can't really fault him for either goal, to be honest. It's kind of just straight at him. He had nothing to do. Um, and he's kicking in general was pretty good. Good service to the striker up front. And Harry Smith, um, I'm going to give him a six. Just, I don't think he's done anything wrong. I don't think he's done anything good, to be honest. <clears throat> the back four, Romeo, I'm going to give him a six. He got well, got forward pretty well, but if we can see two goals, you can't really give him a five or six, in my opinion. Um, next to him, Byron Webster, another six. I'm going to give Tony Craig a six, but I'm going to give Joe Martin a five. Not to use Joe as a scapegoat, but I don't think he defended pretty well for either goal. And at times, I just felt like he got done by the the right side of the team, uh, Barry. I think both goals came from that side of the team, and I think both him and Ferguson were accountable going in defensive side of it. Um, in midfield, uh, Sean Williams, superb start to finish. I think the way he plays, the way he takes a lot of the ball along, he's the perfect key in this midfield. And if he gets on the ball and plays a pass, he can hit 30, 40 yard diagonal passes to get play moving, spread the pitch, especially being against 10 men towards the end of the game. It was crucial I think in us getting the victory I've really loved Sean Williams I'm going to give him a 7 maybe an 8 7.5 will give him next to him Jimmy Abdu 6 out of 10 every game Jimmy Abdu is a 6 out of 10 so I'll stick to that I would like to see him Thompson but he didn't even come on so I'd like to think maybe a knock or something I'm sure we'll hear more after that from Neil Harris on the right hand side David Raw um, nothing special to be honest with you I'm going to give him a 6 I think I don't really think he should have came off but obviously Ferguson stayed on and provided an assist for the second goal with a superb free kick and delivery for Callum Butcher so you can't argue with that. Um, on the left hand side, Shane Ferguson like I said, um, I'm going to give him a 6 because I didn't like it, He's, the left hand side was crucial for Berry obviously scoring two goals and I feel like the side from his deliveries we're struggling on the left hand side and it needs to be worked on so we'll see what happens obviously. I think Ferguson is obviously a good player for us but don't need to be worked on for that. And then up front, Harry Smith, I'm going to give him another six. Worked hard, tried his best. That's all we really need from him. Unfortunately, it wasn't the day to remember for him, but 3-2 win. We won at the end. Can't really blame him. And then next to him, I'm going to give... Who played next to him? Fred Dimmer. I'm going to give him a seven because he moved over to the right-hand side and done superb and obviously laid on the assist for the final goal. So obviously, O'Donnell Bryan came on as well and provided a crucial, crucial goal. I'm giving him a seven as well. Alfie Pavey, notable inclusion. Done nothing special, but grafted for us. Happy days. But that's going to be me, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this Oxfam Mill edition. Um, thanks, Nick, for allowing me to try and give it a go. If you've enjoyed it, please let me know. I've really enjoyed helping out. And, Nick, I hope you appreciate it. And I hope it's up to the standards of Oxfam Mill standards. So thanks for watching, guys. Oh, thanks for listening. Uh, take care and see you soon. Bye-bye. Achtung, Mehlball. Welcome on the show now to our Northern correspondent, John Shipman. Welcome back to the show, John. Morning, Nick. Morning, all. Um, last time I saw you was in the most boring game. Well, apart from the midweek game, you weren't at the den on Tuesday night, mate. But um, last week at Bolton's one of the most tedious affairs of my recent meal experience. And I backed the wrong horse, didn't I? You, you were at Berry today, uh, yesterday. Fantastic yeah, comeback. You backed the wrong northern shit out of visit, Nick. Absolutely, <laughs> didn't I? I story of my life, mate. Um, <laughs> What a result yesterday! Um, oh, another ride on the Millwall roller coaster, Nick. It was it was fantastic yesterday. Really good, <laughs> really good day now. 
I was just looking at the news at Den stats, and I've read obviously the uh, the post match reports on the various websites. It, the, my take, as I was that was with there, was that we should never have been two 0 down. We should we dominated proceedings. Is that a fair assessment of, of things there for you, John? Yeah, but you could almost perm any game over the last few years and describe it that way, couldn't you? Yeah, um, yeah. We've, all, we've often been good in patches and have conceded those goals and the heads have dropped and and that's been the end of the game. And fortunately, yesterday, that wasn't the case. There was a, a real spirit to that comeback. It was great to see. Really, really good to see. So, uh, a really enjoyable day. Um, Fantastic. From, from the very first couple of minutes, you know, we were creating chance after chance and... I say chance after chance. It was more opportunity after opportunity because the crosses were coming in from Ferguson and from Worrell. Right. Um, and Sean Williams was looking uh, really good in central midfield as well. We had a free kick just over the bar very early on. Yeah. Um, so the chances were coming. Um, nothing clear cut, but, you know, the ball was getting into the box very nicely. Yeah. But it just wasn't the quality up front to score it. Um and that continued throughout the first half. I don't really remember much other than a couple of minute period where, you know, uh, Barry had much of a chance. But you sort of looked at it at half time and thought, we could play all day and night here and not score. Um, we're yeah. going to lose this 1 0 sort of thing. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, the negative Millwall mentality kicking in. I'm <laughs> but, uh... Well, I suppose it's kind of how it worked out in the second half. I mean, from I, I followed the um, on Twitter. Um, so nil nil at half time. We're dominating proceedings, and like you say, the classic is that we're gonna we're gonna lose it by the the, the odd goal. But it seemed to be going that way when Berry went one ahead, and then um, then they went two ahead very shortly afterwards. Yeah, and there was an exodus of about hundred people at that point as well. So. <laughs> I can imagine there were. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, two 0 down at Berry is what seventy minutes on the clock um, against the run of play. I'm guessing. Um, I can't blame people for shooting off to the pub and think about the early train back to London. Can you? I mean, that circumstance. I think most of us would be would be thinking about that. I had the uh, I had the boy in tow, so I must admit it did cross my mind. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I'd hang on, and in my my eight years of parenting so far, that's got to be my best decision. <laughs> so, well, it was an experience for the experience for your son. My trip now. Yeah, I mean, last week as we were leaving the ground, I think he was, he was wondering whether it's always this boring following Millwall, and I can't blame the poor little thing, you know. Um, but he's had a bit of a turnaround this week for him, John. I mean, absolutely, yeah. Penalty, and think, penalty, and sending off on seventy. Yeah, so. It, it, we went that second goal down. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, we didn't. We responded quite quickly. You know, we kept going, kept going, kept going. Yeah. Um, which was great to see. And Fred, who so by this stage, Worrell's gone off, and slightly unfortunately, I thought I thought we did very well. Okay. Yeah. Um, but Worrell's gone off, and Fred has moved over to the right hand side by now. So. Um, he just kept plugging away and plugging away. And he was showing some real strength yesterday as well. He wasn't being bullied and pushed around, Nick, which I think he's been, I don't know if guilty is the right word, but he's been guilty of in the past. You yeah. Know, he no. a little bit lightweight in the Ad, Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, he really stood up yesterday, which was great to see. Um, in fact, there was one crunching tackle where a centre-half tried to take him out and he, he stood up very firm to it. And it was... It was celebrated in Aaron like a corner. <laughs> it was tremendous, tremendous moment. Um, oh, was, dear. The, the penalty came from from Fred's efforts. Um, you know, brought the ball down the right, not for the first time, brought it into the area, almost invited the tackles. Um, and drew it. The tackles yeah. didn't come, so he had a dig. Yeah. Um, and all that was left for the Berry player to do was to stick his hand in it. It was, it was one of those where if he hadn't, it was going in. So he yeah, took the game. Yeah. Um, so obviously it's... Uh, 
it gave us the opportunity from the penalty spot, tucked away very calmly. Um, and then by this stage, Nick, a lot of the, the Millwall support have made their way right to the edge of the pitch, so they're right behind the goal physically, yeah. Um, yeah. right for that for that penalty. And I've, I've heard you mentioned in the past bringing the crowd in to play, Nick. Yeah, uh, very much. And it was one of those where the penalty was scored and a couple of the Millwall players went and retrieved the ball from the back of the net. And as you might expect, it was yeah. held up by one of the Berry players. Well, that prompted a little bit of argy-bargy and to and fro, and they were having a little go at Harry Smith, and suddenly... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll get like, the picture. <laughs> like, the, uh, like the best in Mill Street, Nick, all of a sudden the fans and the, uh, and the players are as one. Absolutely. Um, you know, stick one on him, Harry. He gets away from the um, And from that point on, the, the will, collective will, to, uh, to turn that around was quite remarkable. It was... Uh, a really good last 20 minutes of football. <clears throat> and it's a, 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 the equalising goal from Callum Butcher, another player who uh, maybe, is, again, as I mean, speaking after the game, he said that this could be a turning point in the season. And I'd, for him personally as well, Jones, I mean, he's, he's come into the club. He's not really made a, a mark or an impact. But that equalising goal to set up the finale was a mark and an impact, wasn't it, for him personally and, and, and for the club? Absolutely. Um yeah, I can't recall now if it was a corner or a free kick, but, you know, yet another chance. I, seriously, we must have put in 20 decent crosses yesterday. Yeah. Um, so there was no lack of effort out there, no lack of opportunities. So this was another cross that came in. And, um, yeah, Butcher raised to uh, to meet it from inside the inside the area and um, cue pandemonium. Absolutely. Uh, I, yeah, I've seen the videos. I mean, the, obviously the, the crescendo of the of the afternoon came in, was it 90 plus two or three minutes, I think it was, with the yeah the cross. Well, as the, um, the leveller went in, Nick, in the uh, in the shadow of the Neville Neville stand, which I'm sure is one that your sensibilities, Nick. In the, in the Absolutely. Uh, in the shadow of the Neville Neville stand, my brother said, well, twist or stick. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, as it was happening at the time, the, the momentum meant there was no choice but the, just to keep going. Keep and it going was a, risky, yeah. a risky decision, but one that paid off. Um, so we did keep going. And uh, Aidan O'Brien, as you would have seen by now, pops up at the far post to uh, slot in one of. And I know Aidan O'Brien splits opinion, Nick, but yeah. at that point in the game, with that atmosphere that was, you know, just a few yards from him, yeah. if you watch that finish, it's a lovely calm rolling at the back of the net. Absolutely, the temptation yeah. to thump it. Yeah, and if you thump it, you you lose that control of where it's going. It could bounce off the keeper. Yeah, but he was very, very calm, just rolling that into the bottom corner. I hesitate to say it, but natural finish. Um, he is a natural finisher, John. I think you've chosen your words well there, mate. He is. He, he does divide opinions. Some will call him lazy, but that's the curse of the talented player down the ages, isn't it? I mean, how many great players have got the impression they don't do the work, but. He is a great player. He, that was a great finish in that situation, in that moment. I've seen the, the video. I mean, you know, you've got a bunch of blokes basically three yards from you, willing the ball to go in there. You didn't fuck that up, and and he didn't, did he? No, he didn't. And uh, I I think he made a big difference when he come on, whether it was because he come on or whether because it, it was that sort of change of shape and change of slight change of tactic, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, I'm a fan personally. Um, I've got a lot of time for Aidan O'Brien, whether that's coming in off the sides or whether that's, you know, as a backup striker up front. Um, so, yeah, delighted to see him 
tucked that away and the, the celebrations were really something else um absolutely so i've only seen this on the video actually i couldn't see it from my vantage point but he <laughs> jumps over the hoardings barty's <laughs> going through the old bill and he's, he's celebrating it with a fan <laughs> so um, a real a real non, uh, nice moment there it's fantastic i mean i i, I... I saw that last night. I, I, uh, my wife was watching Strictly, and um, I, I'm watching this on on the headphones on the tablet, and I've just burst out laughing. She must have thought I was losing the plot or something. But it, it is just such a fantastic clip. Um, the player jumps into the crowd, runs through a bunch of coppers, the stewards. It's, it is Millwall all over, John. For me, I, I posted this is Millwall. This that is what Millwall is, isn't it? It's it's that sheer adrenaline rush of pandemonium in, in these unlikely places and unlikely moments. That's what it's all about. That's why we go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and after after the week we've had, it's such a boost. I mean, I know that we shouldn't have been two goals down. I know that I'm, I'm, I, we haven't spoken about the two Berry goals, so we, we're, we're going to gloss over whatever um, produced those situations. But And we know the flaws of the side. But to, to make comebacks from three goals down... As Neil Harris said after the game, it shows the character of the side. Probably the first time we've really seen character in the, in this version of, of the side this season. Uh, yeah, I can't think of too many other games. Um, and that character was very evident there last season. Um, yes, it was. Towards so, the end, yeah, I agree. But not so much I this don't season. buy the argument that it disappears overnight due to a, a dispute between Craig and Morrison. I, you know, I, I don't... Well, it shouldn't. No, no, it shouldn't. <clears throat> But, um, I know it can, and you know, in our own workplace, I'm sure we come across people who don't like one another. But yeah. I'm not sure it destroys things to that extent. So I do think the characters in there, particularly, there was a tweet that one of the players put out last night of um, some of the younger members of the team on the bus on the way home, and there yeah. must be ten of them in a in a group there, and they've clearly all played in that under 23s or reserve side together. Yeah, and there is a real, you know, when you've you've grown up together like that, there is the basis if we. If we handle this well, and if the club handle this well, there is the basis of a very strong youth team coming through that could potentially make a difference. And I know we've got frailties at the minute, particularly at the back. And you know, we have glossed over those goals, but yeah, we'll carry on glossing. I don't think we need to worry about this. Yeah, but there is promise there, and it's, it's it is good to see. I think. I mean, the, the, this is uh, you know, for some of these players, youngsters and newcomers into the squad this season. That's probably the first time they've truly experienced what I call the Millwall thing. You know, the the comeback from the, to go from two 0 down to get to two one, and suddenly there's a surge in adrenaline, pushing and shoving. The crowd are involved. It's a very Millwall sense, John, that the crowd and team come together. It's you can almost feel it when it happens, can't you? It's uh, almost physically can touch it. And for these youngsters and, and the newcomers, that probably the first time they've experienced to, you know that being on the receiving end that themselves. And that's that's the magic. That's that suddenly it clicks. That's what Millwall is. That's why you've come yeah, here. Absolutely. And um, I think you know you you mentioned Butcher making his statement about that can be the sort of moment that changes seasons around ball. Yeah. Yeah, it can. Um, but also it can turn groups of players from a group of players into a genuine team who are you know understand that you don't ever give up and you you work for one another and yeah and great things can come of that. So you know I, I'm sure. We're overplaying. Um, well, we do. We, we win away. Uh, uh, but we lead one side. But um, you know, you like to look for the positives, and and there were some shining through yesterday. 
I, I think, I mean, you know, you and me and many, many other listeners and, and the older um, fans, we've been around a track many, many times. And I think sometimes you can take this this thing for, for granted. And I, but I, I just got a sense with um, the likes of Harry Smith, the, the Callum Butchers, you know, and, and, and one or two others. There's this kind of, ah, that's what Millwall's all about. That's what I heard about. That's what... It, that's the that's the the electricity, um, and that's a big thing. And maybe that is the turning point in the season. I really hope so because I, I make you right. There's a lot of talent in that side. If only it can be switched on and, and focused. And um, yeah, and, and some we'll of it's going to go by the wayside, isn't it? But you know, we, I do think we we've got a little bit of a spell in League One to come. Um, but you know, some of that talent will won't mature. Um, yeah, as ever. And some, yeah. Of, some of unexpectedly it will. You know, some players we're not seeing it in a minute will come through. And I just think there's enough coming through, there's enough young players coming through into the side now that there's a real basis to build on to uh, to take us forward over the next few years. And, you know, I hope that is the case because um, it looks really promising just at the minute. That's fantastic, John. Um, just a, a footnote, actually, Nick. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you still recall it. Yeah, I am. I am, yeah. Yep. Mark Romeo's doing a lot to uh, endear himself to Millwall supporters at the minute. Yep. Um, and, you know, he had another very, very solid game yesterday. He looked very good to me. Right at the end of the game, um, in all the pandemonium, uh, there was a Millwall mascot up there, a young lad of about nine, um, who was wearing a, a Marlon Romeo 12 kit for the bits and bobs he was doing on yeah. the pitch beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At the end of the game, Marlon Romeo comes over to the support, takes his shirt off, picks out this particular uh, this particular lad and gives the gives the shirt to the lad. Now I know it's a small thing, Nick, but what a touch! Fantastic. Know, That's a small thing, but it's a big yeah, thing, Jack. Yeah, no, I, you know, kids. Absolutely. You need something. Well, with my own kids, you need something to to keep them in there and keep them keep them interested in Millwall and and that little lad. Now I'm sure with the uh, We'll, pre- we'll treasure that, won't he? And, uh... Absolutely, will. And that's a fantastic gesture. Speaks volume to Marlon Romeo. Um, I mean, um, you know, we, we we regularly name him as the uh, man of the match each week. You know, he's, he's 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 that level of player. But clearly, he's a kid with his with his feet on the ground, and that's fantastic to see in this modern game. Um, Very no. much got his head screwed on, and I, I wish him well for the future. Brilliant stuff. Thank Hopefully you. with us. Hopefully with us. Yes. <laughs> well done, John Shipman. Thank you very much, mate. That's 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 Pleasure, much appreciated. All the best, mate. Meine Damen und Herren, Achtung, Müllwald. So there you have the Berry side of the week. The fantastic Berry result yesterday. What a result! What a comeback! Um, one of the best comebacks in recent times. It's, it goes into the litany of great mill comebacks, so uh, I hope you enjoyed that footage. But now I'm afraid there's always a price to pay for your pleasure. A gentleman can't have his pleasure without some pain, can he? Um, as I think, uh, who was that? Who was that spanky woman that used to uh, run a brothel over in um, South West London? Can't think of her name now, but she had them all in there, didn't she? Old gentleman has made a film out of it. It's like a shit film. Um, anyway, so now we're going to go back to Tuesday night. I'm afraid for something less pleasurable, the, the, the pain for your pleasure. And that's the AFC Wimbledon coverage that I did. And then I'm going to follow that up, finally, with Crazy Hawks and I in conversation. I hope you enjoyed this week's show, dear listeners. Thank you for listening. Achtung, Emil Wall. Well, good evening, listeners. Welcome to a quiet den. This is Achtung, Millwall. My name is Nick Hart. I am your Huckleberry for tonight's proceedings versus AFC Wimbledon. Um, strangely enough, the game's just kicked off. I've only just made it into... Stadium today, the uh, Rotherhive Tunnel. Do I have to say any more to you than the Rotherhive Tunnel? That's seven o'clock at night. 
pulled up in Bermondsey. It was like that um, Charlton Heston film where the whole of humanity has died away from uh, some disease or some kind of radiation event of some sort, and only Charlton Heston remains living in the shattered remains of New York City. There's no one around, apart from me and a few kind of uh, walking undead on the streets coming down to tonight's game. Very sparsely populated stadium. There's a, a two blocks worth of Wimbledon fans in here tonight. They, I think, regard this as a really big match, really big rivalry. Um, the Lions fans, not so much. So tonight's Mill team, Tuesday night team, Jill Narcher in goal, back line, Joe Martin on the left, Tony Crane, Byron Webbs in the centre on the right hand side with Marlon Romeo. Just the middle, Ben Thompson, Sean Williams. Brawl starts on the right, Ferguson on the left, up front tonight is Aidan O'Brien, Harry Smith. Early free kick for Wimbledon, lump forwards towards that surreal, of course. Paul Robinson, return the prodigal son in the Wimbledon lineup. A lot of very warm postings online towards Paul Robinson. Um, a lot of welcome back to the den type stuff. Unusual, very rare does any um, ex-Mill player get that kind of treatment. And it's tribute to the man standing at Millwall, at the den. He truly is the, uh, a legend of the club. I read it on the Mill Stats on Twitter posted that only six players. And we're talking about names like Barry Kitchener, Keith Stevens, Harry Cripps, Neil Harris, Alan McCleary and Alan Dunn. Um, have made more appearances for Mill than Paul Robinson. So there's the standing in the in the hierarchy of the pantheon of Neil Greats. A little bit of one-twoing around our penalty areas. I'm rattling on about Paul Robinson that's hoofed away there. Three minutes, four minutes gone. It's a strange sight of a seagull flying around the den. It's landed now in the Wimbledon penalty area. Um, it's, I think it sees itself very much as part of the action tonight. It's an, in, an odd um, bird. It, it was already um, landed on the pitch at, uh, earlier on, frightened away by the Wimbledon goalkeeper. But now it's done a full circuit of the den at a very low level and has now come skirting around like a cruise missile and has now landed about four yards short of the Wimbledon penalty area. We await a mill attack to see what it does when it goes down there. You are the ref question. What if a, a goal goes in off that seagull? I presume it would be treated as part of the pitch and facilities of the stadium, so therefore the goal would count. So aim at the seagulls, lads. Women, of course, on the back of a 5-1 victory. I think it was over Berry last Saturday. Millwall flaccidly defeated 2-0 up at Bolton. Um, a game where Sean Williams went on news at Den last night, I think it was, saying that he didn't see enough belief in the Mill side. You and me both, Sean, I didn't see much belief in our side on Saturday up there. Long way to go to watch um, a very half-hearted performance. Limp, like limp lettuce. Wimbledon all yellow tonight. Lines in there, familiar blue and white stripes. Six minutes into the game. Mill on the attack. Attack, attack, attack. But they used to sing on the halfway line at the old den. There's a ball into the boxes. Harry Smith gets on the end of it. He's headed down into the danger area. Lobbed up high. By room defence. Mill on the attack again. It's going to go out for a throw-in. Good move there from the Lions. So tonight's show uh, is going to feature this game as its main event. And a little bit of coverage of what we can gather from uh, from Berry. I'm not going to go to Berry. I'm sorry, but two long trips up north in a week is too much even for a, a dedicated millhead like me, dear listener. I apologise to you. But then, why the fuck am I apologising to you? It's uh, two trips up north in a week too much for any any man of sane mind. Prodigal son, always one of the stranger verses from the Bible. Is that not the one where the uh, younger son gets half of his dad's farm, goes off and blows it all on? Um, wine and high living and I dare say prostitutes and the other good one stays behind and then when the young does all the right things and when the young one comes back dad throws a party for the return of the prodigal son and gets the right old ump about it because he's done all the right things but the celebration is for the boy who returns the sinner who repents um, now I'm not saying that's what Paul Robinson's done 
but he is certainly the prodigal son here tonight at the den. A very odd little verse I've always felt. I don't know if I can entirely agree with that Old Testament verse, which is, you know, not unusual. There we are. Here come the wall. Run straight into travel. Ten minutes gone. Lions looking the brighter of the two teams, but um, with no cutting edge as we pass the ten and a half minute mark. Neil Ardley, Wimbledon manager, calls another ex Millwall players. Quite a few links between the two clubs. <clears throat> uh, well, this club obviously is not the old club. It's a successor to the original Wimbledon FC, the one that came into the league in the uh, was it late seventies, mid seventies, roughly, um, and then had uh, success of 1988 FA Cup and the uh, legendary side, the Vinnie Jones and Alan Corks and Fashionews and Sanchez's and blah de blah de blah. Yeah, so this this AFC Wimbledon is a slightly middle-class version, a slightly middle-class successor to the original Wimbledon, uh, which came out in the non-leagues, of course, in the 70s. Um, I always find this version of Wimbledon to have a slightly saintly, sanctimonious air about it, the team that fought itself up from the... Um, uh, we've got a handball there for us, that ball went into the middle box from Park Football South East Counties League. I mean, they've done well, don't get me wrong, but they would have more money than most South East Counties League teams, wouldn't they? Born following the relocation of the original Wimbledon into the franchise move of, of, of MK Dons, which angers many on the against uh, modern football scene. Um, I always feel I should get more angry about it than I, I actually do. Um, but this, this, this club was, was formed as a result of uh, Wimbledon's relocation to Milton Keynes back in uh, 2003, 2002, something like that. But as I say, I, I find there's a slightly saintly, that I don't believe in, air to this, this Wimbledon club. Um, they, they, they moved in with Kingstonians, another uh, well-respected non-league name, and seem to have almost like the cuckoo in the nest have taken over Kingstonians' ground and made them the owners and the Kingstonians the tenants of their own house. So they're a little bit like the kind of people I deal with at work sometimes where vulnerable tenants get ousted from their own homes by local villains and ne'er-do-wells. And I, I, I have a slight sense of that being done by this AFC side whilst claiming all the kind of uh, moral high ground. They've even got their, their designs now on Wimbledon Dog Track. Another respected... Um, OK, yes, I know it's not making any money aspect of South London life, but that's going to become the new football stadium, uh, which will mean the end of dog racing in Wimbledon. So I don't know. Maybe I'm being churlish. Am I being churlish? Do tell me if I'm being churlish. Email me. Call me. Tell me if I'm being churlish, dear listener. 15 minutes coming up. Um, Jordan Archer heads the ball clear, unusually, outside his penalty area. Concedes a throw-in for Wimbledon. Down on the, yeah, the right-hand side, corner flag. 15 minutes. He's trying to get a bit of um, vim into the into the mill side as we go through 16 minutes. Wimbled on the attack though. The old plough lay the old plough lay the old plough lane ground was quite a, a characterful place. I don't know if uh, any listeners ever actually went to Plough Lane. I did when Millwall visited there in the uh, in the 80s. Ball into the box there. That's Eddie clear at the near post. Uh, Wimbled still on the attack. I'll just stay with us. Uh, very much a non-league ground. Very um, cramped. Small little stands, ball back into the middle box. That's bobbling around. Little fall to the 34 from the edge of the penalty. Blasts over the bar. There's a chance. Ball bouncing around the middle penalty. It falls to the 34, just a few yards short of the six-yard box. He blasts it on the volley. Um, thankfully, about two or three yards over the bar. Um, I remember well that the, the, the largest stand at Plough Lane was the end terrace. It had like an angled terrace with an electricity pylon running across one angle. The other um, one, two, three stands were all fairly low level. Uh, seated. I think the, end, the home end was terraced at one point anyway. 
Um, and there was a right moody old nightclub in the corner. I can't for the life of me remember what that nightclub is. It was called. I know it wasn't tights. I think that was in Beckenham, and it wasn't crystals because I know that was at Selhurst Park. But uh, if any listeners can remind me what the moody um, nightclub in the corner of Plough Lane was, please do let me know. Tweet it me on the on on on, tw- on, the, on the Twitter. I'd love to be reminded of that dodgy old nightclub. I mean, there was a couple of drug deals, shootings, and all sorts of things that went on there. But there was a, a loose kind of minicab driver. I remember Alan Colt getting called a fucking minicab driver at the old den, which went as a term of insult. Bolt Mill ball into the box. That tools over. Swiffer just headed clear by the woman of defence. This is Ben Thompson on the edge of the penalty area. He's got to play it back. This is Marlon. Can he pump it in? He can. Long aiming towards the mill forwards. Let's bounce back. This is Sean Williams. Coming up towards 19 minutes. I've interrupted my story of Adam Cork getting called a fucking minicab driver on the halfway line. Um, when Wimbledon played us in the 88 uh, season, the first division season. 21 minutes approaches, coming up to a halfway point in the first half. I say it's about evens. Neither side looking that dangerous in front of goal. The mill looking bright, but <clears throat> so far, no, uh, no danger from either side. The ball almost trickles down the centre. I don't know what kind of crowd is in here tonight. I know that there is this kind of Albert RN style counting of those that don't show up. The season ticket holders don't come. They still get counted in. I think that's a football thing. I don't think it's just a Millwall thing. Um, but I find that quite ludicrous. But anyway, it, the number, it should be the number of times the turnstile has clicked, in my humble opinion. But I dare say the accountants and bean, bean, bean numbers or whatever they call them require that the uh, season ticket holders get counted for, for show purposes. I'd say it's about five or six thousand in there to be absolutely honest. I don't think it's much more than that. Ball lumped forward towards Harry Smith. It runs, trickles through. Aiden Brunch trickles it on. That's a nice shot by uh, Ferguson. Sean Ferguson at the near post. Nice save by the women of goalkeeper. Nice little touch through by Aiden O'Brien. 22 minutes. That's going to go over Mill Corner. FA Cup hospitality being advertised on the big screen for the Braintree home game next Sunday. Two o'clock. This show will probably... Um, well, that will get the following Sunday, two weeks' time. What the fuck am I on about? Uh, two weeks' time. Um, so don't you worry about when the show will go out, listeners. Just ignore them, right? Doesn't really feel like a London derby. I, I'm just sitting here thinking there's a slightly nothing kind of feel to the game at the moment as we go past the 27th minute. We're on the break, though. Let's head it back towards the Wimbledon goalkeeper. It, this doesn't feel like a London derby, dear listeners. Uh, do you agree with me on that or not? I don't know what to make of Wimbledon. They are not a London side. They are based out in Kingston. Um, and I know that they have, like I said earlier on, they've got the the great, the goods, um, you know, the kind of politically correct, bien, bien, bien pensant, the right thinkers on their side. But um, I find them slightly as that. Yeah, the old Wimbledon ground has a slightly disreputable feel to it. Uh, maybe that's what I'm struggling with, the kind of leafy Kingstonian thing as against the uh, seedy dog track and the... Uh, the smell of the old Speedway fumes when Speedway was raced and uh, they bang a car racing, I think, in the old dog track stadium. The whole area had a slightly, um, it was a racetracky kind of feel and there were always places of, uh, with an air of villainy about them, the, the, the kind of odd sense of menace. 29 minutes, we've come towards the 30th minute. Chance of the game falling to Ferguson a few minutes ago. Lines on the attack now though. Fashion who was very much a, always a Wimbledon player, a gear chief, fame with Wimbledon, but of course he made his name with Millwall. Um, psychotic player on the edge of madness chip on his shoulder loads and loads of psychological issues uh, how on earth did he fit in at Millwall so well oh yeah and their fucking nickname the Wombles I never did like the fucking Wombles they were like a middle class litter picking um, cartoon series on 
on the television. He used to show it to all just before the news after children's television back in the olden days. Uh, kids won't understand what I'm on about, but there used to be just a little bit of uh, kids' TV after school, and they showed the, the Wombles, the Wombles of Wimbledon Common, and they had Madame Cholet and Uncle Bulgaria, and it was a load of utter shit. And uh, these, these people are taking their nickname from the Wombles of Wimbledon Common. That doesn't that speak volumes. I don't know what does. So all in all, fuck them. Here comes Ben Thompson on the break for the Lions. We want to see something happen here. Come on. His pass is over hit. O'Brien couldn't take 34 minutes. Lions just hinting at clicking at the moment. Just, they've got some, they've got, uh, you know, more movement in them than Wimbledon have displayed, but you can't dismiss the idea that Wimbledon will nick a goal. Um, Lions just need to start making these passes count and start get a bit more movement together. Here come the Lions on the break. Ball, long ball forwards, trying to find Harry Smith from right-hand side. Whoop, Smith heads it down, there's no-one there. And he rightly digs out Aiden O'Brien, because O'Brien's having to go back. And the crowd are taking Harry Smith's side. O'Brien should have been further forward. Lee Gregory would have been, wouldn't he? Here comes O'Brien now on the halfway line. He's got one overlapping, it's a poor pass. Cracking on uh, Aiden O'Brien's back. After digging out Harry Smith, he's then uh, exceeded his credit limit by playing a poor pass to Warren on the right-hand side. The ball's ball just been a bit scrappy. Play a bit scrappy. Here comes Ben Thompson, though. He's a man to deal with scrappy play. Cuts it high wide. There's Ferguson just inside the Wimbledon penalty area. Uh, Sean Ferguson works in space. He shoots into the mix. There's uh, Robinson's leg off the line there. How many times have we seen that down this place? It's a slightly flat atmosphere in here at the moment. It could be a croquet. It wasn't the Wimbledon Tennis Club the Wimbledon croquet club at one time? This could be a game of croquet at Wimbledon at the moment. It's, it's a very quiet atmosphere inside the den. Very little to get excited about in all, in all truth. But it's been a rather drab half of football. We all look like strangers in our own house. And Wimbledon, they're just grateful to be at nil-nil as we tick down towards the last few seconds of the first half. It's um, not exactly an enthralling night's entertainment as we, as we come towards the half-time break. There's a half-time break, nil-nil. Um, as I just said, it's, um, it's a shell of a game, really. It's like um, it's like one of the aliens' victims. You're not quite dead, but not quite alive. But you're just really watching on in mute kind of uh, terror. Achtung, Milwaukee. And away we go with the Snorfest that will be the second half, or we hope not, don't we? We hope it's going to be sort of 45 bits of pulsating excitement. <clears throat> but on the basis of what we've seen in the first 45, don't hold your breath, dear listeners. Ball into the box there from the right-hand side from Wimbledon, taken easy enough by Jordan Archer. The main highlight, of course, for the first half has been the seagull doing the rounds on the internet. It's still out there. It's gone down the um, far side from, of the pitch now, down towards the Wimbledon end where Mill will be attacking. Line's looking very under par tonight, dear listeners. 47 minutes few online speculations at half-time as to the, the one goal that will probably settle this and just know who may, will score that one goal, don't you? There he is, number six in the mill box, Mr Paul Robinson. Going to be floated in from the Wimbledon right. And it comes. Chipped. Towards the nine at the far post and that's hoisted away by Worrell. Both sides settling for a blamange of mediocrity. Mill with a free kick though, just as I'm saying that on the halfway line. As they had the, the momentary advantage, the referee decided to blow his whistle. Awards a free kick, a challenge on Ben Thompson. Yellow card for the uh, Wimbledon defender there, number three. 
hard on. I'm trying to make this into an entertaining podcast for you to listen to, dear listener, on your car journey, on the train or wherever you, you take in this show, presuming you do indeed take in the show by the stage of proceedings. It's very difficult when you're faced with such a bland match. It really is quite hard to come up with um, new angles, new witticisms, bombos about the game to try and keep you enlivened. But there you are, that's the task I've set myself, so I'll carry on doing my level best. It does make you question why you do it sometimes, doesn't it? Why do you do it? What, what deep drive is it? It's totally illogical, supporting a football team, really, isn't it? Totally illogical, makes no sense whatsoever. And yet you do it, you don't question it. As I posted on Twitter, more excitement and atmosphere at Albin's Chapel of Rest. The Seagull's still on the pitch, though. Let's come down this end of the pitch and see what's going on. Well, I don't know if there's an award for the most boring match you've ever seen. You don't remember the boring games, really, do you? But this is certainly a contender at 56 minutes. Certainly one of the most boring events I've ever been to in my life. It's hard to find new ways to describe the boredom, the sheer, utter pointlessness of it all. It bounced around the middle penalty area. Headed back and forth, head tennis. It's going to be Ferguson that brings away. This is Aidan O'Brien. Ram those words down my throat now, Aidan. Come on, show it to him. Give it to the man. Here he goes, here he goes down. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The left-hand wing. Thompson cuts left again. He's got uh, Ferguson, I think that is, on, on the left-hand side. 57 minutes on the clock. Everything's slowed down to a walking pace again. So Willi- uh, Thompson got Williams in front of him. That's into the near post and headed away. Thompson hits it on the volley from distance. That's gone about... Uh, it's almost gone to the corner flag. Not quite short of the corner flag. So as you would gather, that was a miscued volley, the listeners. Byron chips it forward on the angle. It's headed down from Smith. Obstructed. Holding. Free kick for Mill in a dangerous area. Ironic cheers from the crowd. It's going to be an opportunity for a shot, I'd say. Probably about three or four yards leftwards of the D. Big chance for the Lions to try and break the monotony. The ever-optimistic denizens of the Jeremy Kyle stand, also known as the Cold Blow Lane in, trying to get a little bit of um, buzz going. It soon fades. Anyway, Worrell takes, chips on target and flap round the goalkeeper on the, on the right-hand side for a real corner. 
just passed round by the goalkeeper. Probably need a little bit more power on that, really. But there we are. For 61 minutes. It goes Ferguson now. Ball forward. This is Worrell, right-hand side. People standing up. There's excitement in the air. And ball, surely. And ball. I saw it from up here. The crowd saw it. Linesman didn't see it. A little bit of injustice now. That'll get the crowd going. This is Marlon Roma. Nothing gets the real crowd going like an injustice done. Corner. Come on, Lions. 61 and a half minutes. Bit of buzz at last. Fuck me. A world to take. Right-hand side uh, corner spot. And it comes on the near post along the floor. What was the point of that? Been a long day today. Been at work today. I don't know if these players appreciate you going to fucking work all day. You come out and watch this old shot. shot. What a poor game of football, Denise. Have you gathered that by now? Sorry if I'm banging on about it. First stirrings in the Chapel of Rest. A bolt of lightning's gone through the, the crowd. Dr. Frankenstein has actually brought life where once there was death. It's alive. Guy in front of me offering the, what, the old wide-armed um, what kind of gesture. Um, you, can't, you can't actually see the bulk of the women support from where I am, and he's just in front of me, so I don't know who he's doing that to, but it's all a bit imagined. There's a couple of blokes, a few rows down, um, point individuals doing like walking away or running away gestures with the two fingers. Um, lots of, uh, it's, it's kind of like theatrical stuff, it's like pantomime. It is a season for pantomime, isn't it? Hang on, Widow Twanky. They're behind you, they're behind you. 65 minutes, substitution, Fred's coming in. O'Brien is leaving the game. He's been ineffective. Aiden O'Brien, I know he gets his he gets his critics online. Uh, done nothing to help his calls tonight, in my opinion. Fred's coming in until 67, and at the moment it's very hard to see where the goal's going to come from. There's a little move down the left wing now. This is Ferguson ball into the box. That's behind everyone. It falls to Ben Thompson on target, taken by the goalkeeper on the line. Ben drove it into the ground, didn't quite get behind it. Still on target, so that to be saved by the goalkeeper. Good save in the event. Nice move down the left there. Ball across. Headed back and it falls to Ben who fires it into the deck and just took the power out of the shot. A lot of space for the mid Wimbledon midfielder to have a shot. On target, batted away by over, oh, batted away by Archer and then put by for a corner from middle defence. That was huge amounts of time given to uh, the midfielder there who took a shot. It was a good shot on target. This is not much of an advertisement for the return fixture of January the 2nd. 2017, the game at Wimbledon, at um, Kingstonian rather. I'll probably go, but blimey, it's not exactly enticing me at the moment. The family in front of me uh, normally occupy the, the seats just on the corner of the stand down there. They've left, set 20 minutes to go. I know it's a late night. Uh, what's the time now? Quarter past nine. People got to get home, got to get up for work, and they're leaving. It's not exactly enthralling, so I don't blame people for shooting off. I can't do it myself. I've never really been one for leaving early. Um, but I don't blame people to do. What's that line in um, Cool Hand Luke? What we've got here is a failure to communicate. We don't seem to do the communication side of things very well from sitting up here anyway. Um, there's a moment's pause a few seconds ago where Tony Craig had the ball and he was looking around and no one seemed to be moving and nothing was happening and we don't seem to do that. Um, I thought that was his job to make things happen, to make the uh, mill ground crumble, you know. Uh, Fred's worked a free kick there, obstruction. On the right-hand side of the penalty area. That's a second yellow sent off. Oh, blimey. Silly, silly uh, move by the Wimbledon player there. Obstruction on Fred on 73 minutes. Um, draws a free kick and that was his second, second yellow. So he's read, read it off. Drama, even the drama's been um, dreary tonight. How about that? 
like Harold Pinter play I went to see a few weeks ago with uh, Mrs Hart um, I, 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 was, I was suffering with um, a bit of a, a ear problem so I could barely hear what was being said on stage and what I could hear sounded pompous, dreary and boring but I'm, every, there was, it was packed full of people that seemed to be Harold Pinter fans now I don't know if you're a fan of Harold Pinter or if you don't give a shit about him I wouldn't recommend it personally but apparently some kind of titan of the theatre well that's tonight is a bit like that You know, I wouldn't recommend tonight's game at all but we are Harold Pinter fans here tonight so um, just as they were laughing at every mundane line now we're now hanging on a free kick on the 73rd minute right hand side of the penalty and Warrell takes it's lofted across the box back post headed straight at the goalkeeper from Joe Martin here's a little ball into the box there's Harry Smith in front of goal little Charles there for Fred ball bobbling across the, the Wimbledon penalty area and Fred had a little flick on it it's gone for a goal kick a bit, my language has been a bit, bit um, I don't know, a bit near the mark tonight I do apologise to you and Jack Cholton once say that it's not the role of football to entertain you well I fucking beg to differ Jack alright for you getting paid wages when I'm playing it but for the poor sods in the stands, that is actually what they tend to, to see, something that lifts them slightly. After their dreary, mundane day, but uh, Jack Shelton thought it wasn't the role of a football manager to entertain the crowd. Well, take your own view, dear listener. I think the sight of the empty seats around the den tells the story, the, uh, the, the riposte to that. He comes worried, he somehow gets, a, he gets an easy ball to him from Marlon, manages to step over the ball and make a complete and utter toss-up of it. A poor game tonight, Warren. We were very much feeling the loss of Lee Gregory and Steve Morrison, clearly. Two quality strikers. Aidan O'Brien has not done his bit for society tonight. He's been substituted. And we're down to a very young forward line, as I said in last week's show, shouldering a heavy burden. 81 minutes on the clock. We, when we've got the man advantage, we are not making that count at all. Now we can see the free kick on the edge of the penalty area. Uh, this is what Wimbledon will look for, obviously, dead ball situations. I mean... Um, right hand side of the penalty just near the corner of the penalty they're about a yard short chance to um, cross possibly have a shot even from that angle if we can see the goal and come out on the losing side of this then we want shooting ok that's a bit extreme but that's my verbal simile for the moment in comes free kick lofted across left hand side ball bobbing around cleared by Worrell little moment there where everyone paused I paused that's the story of the night. We seem to have a little break and then we stop. Everything freezes and nothing happens. Lots and lots of nothing happening. Cross the box, no one there. It's going to go for a little corner. Still bobs down. This is Williams. Takes quite nicely. Worrell. Want to chip across the box. He's got Fred on the inside of him. Ball, ball on target. Taken the line from uh, Smith, I think that was. Headed, so, headed downwards. Taken on the line by the goalkeeper. Seagull still on the pitch as we approach the last two minutes of injury time. It's now down by the near, near corner to me. Actually, it's come to see me to say good night. Thank you, Seagull. You've been a really entertaining part of the night. The football hasn't sadly matched up to the Seagull entertainment, but that's certainly done a job. This is Fred inside the penalty. It's going to go for a mill corner. A minute and a half to go. What's going to be a great name for a bar? The last gasp saloon. I'm sure it's been done somewhere in the world. It's going to be a right-hand side free kick from a uh, corner from Worrell. Chipped into the middle, is Byron headed over the bar? Do you get a sense that's going to be last uh, dibs? People making for the exits all around me. One minute still to go. Wimbledon fans find that exciting. I thought it's been one of the most seriously boring events of my life, to be absolutely frank. There's the final whistle. Mill nil. Wimbledon nil. Um, somehow I'm going to try and edit that down to... Um, something worth listening to 
and we'll probably make that to about 30 seconds worth of footage to actually cover the moments of excitement. So there you go, that's that's the Tuesday night game. Um, we're going to be back after these messages with hopefully some berry coverage from Saturday. No, it won't. I don't believe that. Don't believe that figure. Sound like Donald Trump, don't I? Wrong, wrong, wrong. Back after these messages. Are you tired of having no voice at Millwall? Then why not join the AMS, the Association of Millwall Supporters? The AMS is an independent fan group, meaning they're not directly affiliated with the football club, and therefore they aim to truly represent the fans' best interests. To join the AMS, visit amsgroups.info. That's amsgroups.info. Or if you're on Twitter, go to at a underscore m underscore s underscore group. And they will be happy to answer your inquiries. Morning Honky Tonks, this is the morning after the tedious night before. I think all you need to know about last night's game really is summed up by the creation by someone on Twitter of an account called Mill Seagull, because the seagull that was flying around the den last night was the most interesting and entertaining aspect of the evening's proceedings. Mill Seagull incidentally is um, portraying himself as a, as a full-on chap, claiming his lady seagull has got the right arm of him back at the nest because he was at Millwall all night, so stuff of that kind, quite mildly amusing. I think it's probably dying its natural death now, though, Mill Seagull, if you're tuned into this show. The evening was as much a love letter for Paul Robinson as it was Mill Seagull, however. Neil Harris praising the brilliance, the brilliance, Paul Robinson, after he watched his former teammate help shut out Mill at the den, the news at den reports words like imperious are being used in the centre of defence. As someone on um, on House of Fun pointed out, we had Beavers on Saturday helping shut us out, and last night we had Robinson help shutting us out. Two ex-Mill defenders in a few days, basically keeping us at bay. He was brilliant, said Neil Harris in the first half. Paul Robinson made a block on the goal line and headed one from under the crossbar. I thought to myself, that's just him. That's his quality. I did mention name-check Harry Smith, who didn't do too badly last night, um, who, as, as Neil Harris says, did very well against uh, Robinson's night. One of the most aggressive centre-halves he'll come up against in his career. And as he rightly points out, Harry won the majority of his headers. To no great support, it's going to have to be said. I thought it was a poor game by Aidan O'Brien in support of Harry Smith. The, the boy is only 19. Yes, he won these headers. And there was a few occasions where knockdowns were... Basically not followed up. There was a general lack of um, energy in that side last night, which I found quite perplexing. Um, clearly, we are uh, half the side in the absence of Lee Gregory and Steve Morrison, but that's where we're at at the moment. Always one of the great um, flaws of any plan that rests on two individuals. It, the what happens when they go under a bus moment, and well, they're both in their different ways gone under buses and we do look like a, a much reduced side. But then who wouldn't with the two best strikers in the division out of action? Reports from Twitter. There's one poor sod, Adam Moss, all the way from Australia, he says in his tweet. A picture of himself outside the uh, the floodlit den last night. What a game to have picked to come over for. Adam, I, I, I sincerely hope you got more out of the evening than I did. Chap called Ant? No, no, not that one. Um, 
A chap called Ant says that was the most boring and clueless performance he's seen from a Mill side. The wingers couldn't beat an egg, he says. The Mill AMS group asking if you agree or disagree with Harris, who says we will take a lot of positives from tonight's match. It's very hard to see what positives there were, Neil. But anyway, we put plenty of balls into dangerous areas, but lack the finish. Well, that's not a positive in my book, but there we are. I actually thought the quality of crossing last night was poor um, compared with what we can and what we should be doing. Stevie Morrison wouldn't have put up with that last night, I'll tell you that much. A chap called The Streets Volume 1, a Chaz artist, I think his real name is. Well, it's not his real name, is it? Um, says, sums up very well. He says, fucking hell, we miss Paul Robinson. Wish he was still with us, but that cunting, bald-headed clown, cunt, Holloway, fat, f- let him go. Not fat, let him go. But I think you get the picture. You get the vibe from The Streets Volume 1 there, don't you? Some more extreme reaction on the House of Fun, where you would, of course, expect it. The uh, Theatre of Cruelty on there. Cheggers plays Pop. Uh, bold statement says, Neil Harris has to go. I'm sorry, says Cheggers, but whether it be a sideways move or gone completely, I've never seen a more tactically inept display as that last evening from any Mill team. Questioning the long ball uh, move towards Smith. Surely we should attempt to stretch play across the pitch rather than keep lumping it aimlessly forward. Harris, close the space, then play your football. That's always been the Millwall way, not hitting hope. In reply, the M40 Lion says, we're a very average League One team, going nowhere. I predict we'll finish 10th, says M40. In reply to the most boring display ever seen, or inept display ever seen, Revit says back to Cheggers, um, he quotes Preston at home under Mark McGee, which was a... Fair point. That was an inept tactical, tactical display. It was almost like a suicide note that night, of course. But um, overall, Mark McGee showed a lot more nous, I always thought, than um, we're seeing at the moment. Mike1987 says about Neil Harris, I'm sorry, but the bloke is clueless. What a sack of shit tonight against 10 men. The wonderfully named Hugh G. Rection. Uh, yes, that really is the name he goes under on Hoff. Hugh G. Rection. Um, reckons it's the worst football he can remember too. It's just so fucking boring, says Hugh, week after week, hoof after hoof. We're not going down, but how much more boredom can you take? It's a good question. I'm, I've genuinely had enough of it, giving up £500 for a season ticket to talk about a fucking bird on the pitch. The seagull we're talking about, not a bird. It's more exciting, the seagull, than the shit that Harris is serving up. Crowds are dwindling, and we're being mugged by Wimbledon supporters due to our supporters being... Unable to muster up any enthusiasm. Every team we play can keep the ball. We just hoof it back at them. I want him gone regardless of results. He can take Craig with him and the coward O'Brien. Coward O'Brien. He's six foot and jumps five foot four. Then there's a bit of a debate to whether O'Brien is or is not six foot, but I think we get the point huge. PD, PDJ the third also makes the point back that O'Brien might not be able to jump, but he's still joint. Top scorer, not bad for a bloke who doesn't play up front and strolls about. Not everyone is a buster gut player. This is in defence of Aidan O'Brien by PDJ. Trezor Candle, remember him? That's a name from the past. Trezor Candle was the club's top scorer that year and got the same treatment. That's very true. It's not a hard fact to accept, but he was indeed club, uh, well, amongst the club top scorers that season. Flair and technique over work rate has always been a puzzle at Millwall. Fans, I'm not sure. That's a very philosophical point, actually. Flair and technique over effort. We we do value um, gut-busting, lung-busting effort over flair and technique, that's for sure. It must be in our, our docker's um, blood, mustn't it? And finally, for the Sunday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday, Wednesday morning, not with it, the Wednesday morning nightmare, M40 Lion asks us all to cheer up. We've got an exciting trip to Bury to look forward to this weekend. 
You're listening to Achtung Millwall. So here we are a day later from one of the more tedious games of football you'll ever see at the den, dear listeners. Um, so I thought I'd produce a little interjection in the show as I drive home um, 24 hours later, driving home from work in Woolworth, going through the heartland, and going through Bermondsey, Southwark Park Road, going past the Queen Victoria and Dave's Barbers, um, and my mind turned away from the tediousness and the online overall reactions of many. Um, people talking about handing back their season tickets, never ever going to go again, had enough, blah, 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 blah. Um, yes, it was fucking boring. I do, I do give you that much last night, and um, certainly, um, you know, it, it tried my patience. But um, handing back your season ticket, well, come on. I, it, my only answer to that is it's what November now. It's a dark November night, as I sit opposite the uh, the Colleen Bourne as once was, um, and it's only what six months ago, therefore, that we all went up to Bradford in that first leg of the um, League One playoffs last season. One of the best and strongest Mill performances I've seen in many, many years. We went up there and won it 3-2. Um, I tuned into my show after that game. That's only six months ago, um, where we produced one of the most sustained, aggressive away performances um, in my, you know, in recent years, let's put it that way. Certainly a massively enjoyable game. Um, so six months later, there's some talking about giving it all up. Um, never ever going again. Now whether Neil Harris is a manager that's capable of taking us forwards is a big question. I think the jury probably <clears throat> is still in, in the debating room. I mean last week's, um, or the week before's game against Bristol Rovers was a, a good performance, a good result rather. I know one or two of us identified the strains around the edges, the cracks, little hairline plaster work cracks on the ceiling of that performance. But um, to talk about handing back your season ticket is, in my opinion, piffle, piffle. But there we are. So anyway, enough of all that, Tosh. I'm driving through Bermondsey, just going along um, past the uh, the blue. And there was another piece of Millwall news this week, which we didn't touch on in last night's footage. I don't know what I'm going to make of that footage. By now, you'll be you'll have heard it. So um, I'm probably telling you about what I did already. But there you go. That's the way the show goes. Um, yeah, so that won't be very entertaining, so I thought I'd better include the other piece of Millwall news this week, which came on Monday in the unlikely setting of the High Court in, in London, the Central London Courts. Um, an action by Millwall Football Club to try to get a copy of the unredacted Lewisham report. Now, this relates obviously to the renewal controversy, the idea that um, we should have a slice of the cake, whereas Lewisham want to give all the cake, all the redevelopment cake around Bermondsey to their mystery offshore-owned company that um, has, a, well, let's just put it, it's, it's a moody-looking setup. let's say that. Um, Lewisham are in cahoots with them, they're in bed with them, and that's where they want their, their money to go. So anyway, Millwall want a slice of the action, they want to be able to redevelop the car park, and we are told that will sustain our football club on into years to come. So anyway, cut a long story short, there was a the Guardian have been following this this um, storyline, as you may or may not know, and there was a report issued which um, shows that Renewal 
has ownership based in the British Virgin Islands, but not named ownership. It's, it's merely identified as Isle of Man and British Virgin Islands, tax havens for the rich um, and wealthy and not so famous. So Millwall were trying to get their hands on a copy of that report because the original, the one that was released by Lewisham, had large chunks of the report redacted, which means it's blocked out. Even more controversial sections of, of uh, text and items they don't want you to know gets blanked out. It's called redaction. It's a common practice, often used under the cover of being commercially sensitive. It can cover a, a multitude of sins. Um, so the Lions were trying to get their hands on a copy of the unredacted report to really get to grips with Mewisham's um, shenanigans, a skullduggery, as, um, as some might put it. Um, so Eddie Rhodes, in, into court we went on Monday, apparently. wasn't publicly known. I dare say they didn't want a lot of mob of Millwall fans turning up there, but Barney Roney of, of The Guardian, who's following this story and magnificently following it on, on Mill's behalf, was there. Um, and the event was postponed, so there's, there's no punchline coming. But the, um, the postponement was on the grounds that the uh, direct, one of the directors of Renewal is pregnant um, and was not in a position or in any condition to attend, what with the stress of um, having to sit in court and account for why it shouldn't be released to pub the public um, as, as to who owns Renewal. Now, their defence was paid for by Lewisham Council. Um, Lewisham Council, public money, possibly your council tax if you live in the borough of Lewisham, dear listeners, was funding the, the defence so that the Millwall couldn't get this information from uh, Lewisham. They couldn't get this Lewisham report issued. And Lewisham are fighting it in court, paying it for it on a £1,000 an hour, I think it was, a QC, um, to defend it. So, scandalous, absolutely scandalous. Mayor Steve Bullock, his little lackey, Quisling, Councillor Al, I'll go on Twitter, you'll find him, a little Quisling of a man. Um, plus one or two other is little sneaks and snides that sit on their, their various committees, all of whom are in cahoots with Renewal. They don't want it to come out as to who actually owns Renewal. They clearly want to carve up the Bermondsey area, the new Bermondsey area, as they called it, for their own um, purposes. I nearly said benefit, but I mustn't say that because that, that could be libelous. Um, I, personally, I, I, I smell rats. I think you probably do too. Dear listeners, um, these people need to pay a price. They need to pay a price at the election box. There are, are council elections, I think, next year. Some might actually correct me. I think there's mayoral elections. Uh, I don't think Bullock is standing again, thankfully. But someone that in Lewisham, and in amongst the political set, this needs to be battled and this needs to be challenged. Um, possibly someone might even stand against some of these people in their constituencies. I don't know. That's a possibility. Maybe stands a Millwall party. Perhaps some out there might want to shoot it over. Um, any road. So there we are. The, um, the Lions action to get their hands on the unredacted report was postponed into January. Presumably that will um, be after baby renewal is born. Um, best wishes to that director, because I, I think as gentlemen, and that's what we are at Millwall, we should not wish ill upon a pregnant lady. But then Renewal is supposed to be a multi-million pound, billion pound worth of con uh, company and they can only put one person up in, in, in the dock. I find that quite weird. You get a tuppany hate me feeling about this million pound, billion pound company, don't you, dear listeners? Anyway, more news on that as it arises. Well done to Barney Roney. Big well done to the AMS for backing Barney and, and helping him on uh, in various areas. 
And as soon as we get to hear anything on this show uh, that we can tell you, we'll pass it on. Achtung, Mehlball. Big welcome on the show, as ever, with the shortest of short notices to Crazy Horse. Welcome back, Neil. Thanks. It's only been a fortnight, isn't it? Yeah, it's like London buses, mate. You know, we wait ages uh, for you, then twice twice in a fortnight. Now, listeners need to know that I, I set Neil a very short notice challenge on, on the most tenuous of, of links, but um, I thought we'd run with it and his game, so fair play to him. Now, I was watching um, last night, Neil, um, Bundesliga coverage, my... Nothing my missus likes more on the Friday night than to put the Bundesliga on on television. And I was I was struck by the fact that we, earlier in the week we played AFC Wimbledon. Yep. Um, and all that comes with them and their rise through the leagues, from the South East Counties League to um, League One now. And I was watching uh, a team called RB Leipzig, um, who are currently, and I think they're still top of the Bundesliga today. I, I haven't seen today's results. Um, they revive but yeah, um, they're, they're doing all right, aren't they? And I thought, in my in my um, mistaken um, take on it, I thought that was the successor club to a team from my youth, uh, probably yours too, Neil, Locomotive Leipzig. But it's not. Yeah. It's not, is it? It's uh... no, no. It's some completely new identity. Um, uh, they obviously know what they're doing. Absolutely. They're one of the few few European clubs with a Scottish international in their in their lineup. <laughs> Do they? I didn't know they have a Scot in the, yeah. in the team. Yeah, Oliver Berg. They signed him, I think, thirteen million from um, Notts Forest at the beginning of the season. Fantastic. Um, oh right, okay. You know, big things expected, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, no, they're um, they're one of uh, Red Bulls, uh, many clubs around the world. Indeed, they are, and their story. I mean, it has, as I say, it's the most tenuous of links with AFC Wimbledon. Maybe we'll come on to them. Later on, but not not really actually, because um, in Austria there's a uh, Red Bull Salzburg. There is, um, yes, and that's kind of more con- well controversial, should we say, because they kind of took over the Austria Salzburg. So they bought Austria Salzburg and changed the club colours. They were purple and white, yeah, and um, changed it to the Red Bull colours and um, changed the name as well um, to the point that uh, the fans did what AFC Wimbledon did and um, went and formed their own club, Austria Salzburg, with the same purple kit, etc. Now playing in the lower leagues in Austria, but um, it was quite controversial because you know lots of fans weren't happy with the move. Absolutely. And they, you know, they used to turn up with their own old purple and white scarves in protest. And anyone turning up with a purple and white scarf was banned from the ground or kicked out, you know, right. pretty much like Theopathetus in many ways. <laughs> um, you know, don't agree with him, and then off you go. You get so, banned. yeah, um, very controversial there, you know, probably more controversial than that than the old MK Don's AFC Wimbledon saga. Oh, Red Bull seemed to have a modus operandi this kind. I mean, I was reading about the German aspect of it. I know that Salzburg are the, were the kind of the, the, the lead Red Bull uh, branded yeah. club. Um, and uh, they've got other, I mean, there's Red Bull New York City, I believe, in the mm. um, Major League. Uh, what's it called? MSL out there, isn't it? Yeah. And there's a couple of MLS. Uh, yeah. MLS. Um, there's one in, in Ghana, of all places, I, I read, mm. a, a Red Bull uh, Accra, Ghana. But their, their lead name and the, the prize for them was obviously to get into um, the top flight German football, the Bundesliga. Mm. And RB Leipzig, um, in a similar way, I guess, to, I mean, obviously. Um, Austria, you know, the, the Austrian club was an established club, but they explored various options in Germany. Um, I think Fortuna Dusseldorf were un, under their microscope at one point, and um, they, they met with fan protests there. So in the end, what they've done is actually bought a non-league side. Mm, yeah, you know, that, 
Happens quite a lot though um, overseas. You know, um, it does happen. You know, you, you pick a side, you buy it, and then you get them up the table. It's no real difference to things, you know, like Gretna being taken over. Admittedly, it was um, someone's flight of fancy, a bit of a folly. But, you know, Man City, you know, when they got taken over, you know, they, they've gone from League Two or you know, Division Two, Division Three, as it were, you know, to Premier League champions. Um, admittedly, you know, that's piling in money a different way. But, you know, it's, it's the same sort of thing. It's just that Red Bull like to go the whole hog and rebrand the club in their own image. Well, they've, what they've done here is bought a village team just outside of Leipzig. As I say, my initial mistaken thought was it was one of the old um, former East German clubs, such as Lokomotiv. I think there was one called che- Chemnitz or Chem- yeah. Chemney. Um, but it isn't. Yeah. This is this was a, a, a fifth division, so our equivalent of the National League, I guess. Um, but it's slightly no, it's slightly different in Germany. Is it? Um, don't forget that the Bundesliga has only been around since 1965, right. and they still keep their kind of regional kind of outlook. Okay. So below Bundesliga two, it becomes a regional league. So they're kind of fifth tier. It's kind of depending on what region it is. It can be somewhere like the conference to what was Division four. Okay. Um, much smaller, so it doesn't work in the same way inside the same kind of pyramid. It kind of fractures below uh, the second tier. So perhaps we're not a million miles from the South East Counties League in a sense, then, in that, that kind of regionalised yeah. sense. Yeah, but in, in, in Germany, you've got to remember that, you know, this is quite a common thing. I mean, Wolfsburg, um, they're owned by Volkswagen. They are. Know, and they, are. they are the Volkswagen team, you know, they obviously see that. You know, and um, Wolfsburg was, funny enough, well, it's pretty much like uh, Milton Keynes in Germany, you know, it was a, a city founder, I think in 1938, you know, height of Hitler and you know, yeah. it's the factory in Wolfsburg that um, built the Beetle. Um, but, you know, they're not the only ones, Bayer Leverkusen, you know, they're owned by Bayer, the pharmaceutical company, and even have the Bayer logo in their club badge. Yeah. So, you know, it's not a million miles away from how most German clubs are founded. You know, all the rest that comes from sports clubs, etc. So, you know, they're not just football clubs, they're major sports clubs. Um, but, you know, hence the kind of still the tie-ins with all these companies. But, you know, there's no real difference, you know, if you followed it logically. It's just that if it happens today, it's kind of frowned on, whereas most clubs were formed this way, you know, hundreds of years ago. You well, know, it's, yeah, it's one of the points I was going to make, and it's an interesting point in a way, because, I mean, Leipzig, RB Leipzig, um, formed in 2009 by the acquisition of a, a lower league club, a non-league club, let's call it mm. that. Um, and what they've done, they've rebranded it as, as you say, that's their that's their their method. They've, and they're playing white shirts, red shorts, as the other the other uh, Red Bull sides do. Versions of the of the badge. I think um, German FA rules are quite strict on um, on naming rights and and the actual uh, use they of are, yeah. branding as as a crest. But it's it's a it's a recognisable version of the Red Bull logo, in in mm. my humble opinion. So, in a sense, this this is the um, this is the new part of this 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 use. Mm. I mean, I agree about Bayer Leverkusen and Wolfsburg, and you, you'll see it in Italy with Juventus. The traditional ties in with yeah with uh, Fiat there, isn't it? Mm. Um, I suppose you could call those not they're a bit more than factory sides, Neil, but they're they're coming from that generalist direction, aren't they? This this yeah, is yeah, they are. This is an overt I mean, rebranding of an exist of, of a small club with the intention of taking it to the very very top table. Yeah. Something um, new. Yeah. Um, I mean, even in the UK, you've always had the links and the kind of, you know, the historical, you know, connection, like, you know, Man United were Newton Heath. Uh, I think it was Lancashire and Yorkshire Railways. Yeah, FC. yeah. Um, I think Coventry City is probably the most, should we say, Germanic um, in it, English history in terms of their 
craving for sponsorship, but they were formed. Um, <laughs> Um, Singer FC and the old yeah they were the cars and motorbikes and and sorry machines yeah yeah yeah. so they were called you know Singer FC you know and they've always had connections with the car industry you know obviously Coventry being a big car manufacturer you know they've been sponsored by Peugeot etc but everyone remembers Talbot the Talbot shirt the football kit yeah yeah, with the big T on that's right but you know people seem to forget that Jimmy Hill you know one of his flights of fancy was he wanted to further that connection by changing the name of the club to Coventry Talbot and have links with the car Yes, company. he did. He, he wanted to make, make it quite overt, didn't he? I suppose, yeah. I suppose we, we we have a slightly romanticised um, thing in, in English football. that we, we slightly run from the idea that these are commercial enterprises, which maybe abroad mm. they don't hide from. And Germany certainly doesn't hide from it in quite that way. I mean, this, this, this just going back to um, RB Leipzig, top of the Bundesliga, almost certainly, I mean, they were promoted last season. They've risen through... Mm every division since their formation in 2009. They've had Red Bull's money thrown at them. So, um, And this is just where it struck me, is in a similar vein, not quite the same with AFC Wimbledon, in that upon their formation after the um, the fracturing of, of the old Wimbledon club, they slightly dominated their non-league te- uh, leagues too, didn't they? Because they had more money than the other sides that they were competing with. Um Money, money, money wins in the end, but you can't beat the power of money in my in my view. And and RB Leipzig is is that to the nth degree? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, very similar to AFC Wimbledon in that respect. I mean, AFC, AFC Wimbledon kind of stalled when they reached the conference level and uh, needed a few years to get up. But you know, as um, you know, readers of the fanzine and those that go mm. places like Hoff will you know know that I have a particular dislike of AFC Wimbledon, the romance surrounding them, you know, this, this I is agree. a club that, yeah, I um, agree. you know, that they're not as hard done by as people think, you know, through sheer fluke, um, you know, when I was at school, um, obviously, you know, went to a good Catholic school, you know, South London, <laughs> well, it was actually South West London, um, which remained nameless, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it was a lot of, um, fans there of Fulham and Chelsea who suddenly became Wimbledon fans when they won promotion and got the FA Cup final. And when, so like 2002, I was working in a company called sports.com. Yeah. And there were five uh, Wimbledon fans there. And they all had one thing in common, is that they all supported other clubs. You know, two of them used to support <laughs> Arsenal, one supported Wolves, one supported Hibs. And, you know, none of them, you know, were Wimbledon through and through, you know, so they'd all switched. Um, you know, I had a kind of a front row seat. Um, you know, realised they were having troubles with their chairman. But, you know, what people failed to realise was that when this move actually was rubber stamped there was only one man and his dog outside protesting at the FA um, <laughs> you know and when it went through they I think they had one meeting at Wimbledon um, theatre where they yeah. have the panto yeah and then the next thing you know they're, they're away forming their other club um, you know and they played their first game in 2002 in the same football pyramid as Wimbledon FC they absolutely deserted the club and you know they're this old romantic thing they own the history how can you own the history if you've played on the same Saturday in the same tier as the club you once supported, you know, you're, you're not the same club at all. You're another club. You know, you're, you're, you're another club with the same name. But this AFC Wilmington, you know, they had money thrown at them. They were sponsored by the, you know, the makers of football managers, you know, as was Championship Managers. Yes, they were. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They had, yeah. you know, clubs, um, sponsorship coming out their ears. They could buy the licence, or not the licence, the freehold of... Um, Kingstonian Stadium, you know, they could afford to play players, their money, etc. You know, they had loads of advantages that other clubs never had. And, you know, they just steamrolled their way through the league. And people think, oh, it's romantic, isn't it good for football? 
is it bollocks? You know, you don't want people deserting your clubs. You know, could you imagine that happening at Millwall? Where's your balls? You know, the violence. Smash the car shop windows in when you lose on a Sunday, you know. I mean, you're right. I mean, Kingstonian, I actually mentioned it. I I did a little live piece of the the dreary, like, nil-nil draw on Tuesday night, one of the dreariest things I've seen in many a a long moon. Um, But the the point of Kingstonian, which I mentioned earlier, I'll mention it again now, is actually a good one because they were rather pushed out of their own house. Slightly, you know, I, in, in my line of work, Neil, I deal with that with vulnerable tenants. You know, they get pushed mm. out by local villains. You know, and this is rather what happens with with Kingston, a well-respected non-league name. There we are, money. You know, it um, is. And you think, you know, with um, Wimbledon now being given planning permission for their own stadium, they get their stadium back. But apparently, Wimbledon then sold it to Chelsea, so Chelsea could play their youth team games there. You know, it's like. This poor old club, Wimbledon, are just lying in the money and, you know, everyone's saying, oh, MK Dons are the bad guys. It's like, no, it's not. It's like, that's not how you get ahead in football. You know, you, you work hard, you go forward, you know, you build your teams. All right, you may get money thrown at you, but, you know, don't pretend you're hard done by because you had to form your own club. It's absolutely ridiculous. You didn't have to form your own club. You could have stayed and fought for the club you were meant to be supporting. But I always have the theory it was much easier for them to go off and form their own club because they used to support another club anyway. So changing clubs again wasn't so hard for them. <laughs> That's why it's so easy for AFA Wimbledon. And also about to take up their stadium, as you, as you say. I mean, it's not really their stadium. It's actually the old dog stadium, the, the Greyhound Speedway banger track next door. But, you well, know, there you go. Not, you know, they've even destroyed that, you know. If people give a shit about that, then that's, yeah. that, that, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that, it was a separate part of South London life, wasn't it? But no, um, I mean, where do you stand on the Milton Keynes question? Many, many people call it Franchise FC. I find it quite hard to get overly excited about Milton Keynes. Um, F- you know, Dons, you know. Um, yeah, um, it, it's usually twats that call them Franchise FC because they obviously have no idea what a franchise is. And I apologise to any listener out there who call them Franchise FC. Please write in and complain to Nick. That's fine. You know. um, but, Full money back guarantee, yeah. In the States, a franchise, you know, take the NHL. Yeah. That's a closed shop. So, you know... All the owners get together, you know, they've all got money in, all the TV money, etc. it's split out. You've got the, um, you know, when you've got the drafts, you yeah. know, the, the teams that are doing really badly get first picks to improve yep. the team. Yep. It's kind of like, you know, an old, in many ways, a communist way of, or socialist way of, you know, everyone gets on and everyone can improve. If someone's doing worse than someone else, we'll give them your best players kind of thing. And if a team's not performing particularly well in uh, well in a city, they'll move it. I always um, have the um, you know, the five families scene in The Godfather where they, they're dividing up yeah. New York. But everyone's exactly. got to have their drink, exactly haven't they? You like know that. And so you know you had the North Stars of Minnesota yep. did very well, but they weren't earning enough money. So they said, "Well, Dallas hasn't got a nice hockey team. Yeah. You know, Dallas, that well-known place of snow and ice, <laughs> etc." They moved them there. You know, still did well, but they did it because you know. That's what the franchise did. They move it around to the places where they get no money and people don't have the same sort of ties. Wimbledon were an independent club, you know, and they tried to move to Dublin, you know. They tried loads of places to move because they couldn't afford to stay where they were. Now, them moving, yes, okay, they moved to Milton Keynes um, to get um, to a place that had no football team so they could, you know, exploit that and, you know, get good crowds is no different to Arsenal moving from Woolwich to North London, where there wasn't a football club. No, 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 no. You know, at the turn of the century, you know, the bloke that owned Arsenal at the time also owned Fulham, and he originally tried to merge the two to get a better, you know, crowd on a weekend. And then he decided, well, let me find somewhere in London that doesn't have a football uh, football club. I'll transplant them there. 
change the name just to Arsenal and away we go and the rest is history. No different at all. I can give you another one. Yeah. Arsenal, I'll give you another one. Millwall. Yeah, I know, exactly. Um, Move from know, the Isle of Dogs. The club, the club died when it moved south of the river. <laughs> you asked me and shaken back. That's where I went wrong. Um, but but the reason for moving from the island, for anyone that studies their Millwall history, is because crowds were falling. Um, for, what, for whatever reason, I think it was inaccessibility for crowds to get to the Isle of Dogs at that time. It wasn't the place that we now see when we there come... There wasn't a lot on it. Yeah, there wasn't no. a lot on it either. And there was nowhere to... You know, they didn't own the ground, so there was nowhere else to move because of, you know, a lack of space. You know, the Isle of Dogs is like Gibraltar. And the, know, the, as soon as you run out of, of land, there's nowhere you're else stuck. to go but you yeah. know, the river. Yeah, the water. So, you know, that move wasn't... You know, it's not the same as Arsenal because you're still at the docks. You know, you've still got your own connection. You know, the, the games used to kick off late, you know, court pass, free yeah, 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 come yeah, over, etc. Yeah, yeah. You know, they still had the ties. It wasn't really the same as Arsenal. But, you know, it's that move of Milton Keynes, it's not really a franchise move. It was an independent move that, yes, it was rather stamped by a club, but, you know, it's not the same as in America where they move clubs, but it's such an alien notion in the UK that, you know, people got on their high horses about it. But, you know, all they did was change stadiums and, and move further away. But Wimbledon, wasn't even playing in Wimbledon. They were playing in Selhurst Park. You know, they, you know, they had no the, home of their own. You know, they're moving around. It's, it's no different to, you know, your Southamptons, your Leicesters, etc. They were playing in the centre of the city and they've moved to the outskirts to, you know, what wasn't originally Southampton because that's the only place they could build a stadium. You know, they moved stadiums. That's what Wimbledon did and they changed the name. And when they were at Selhurst, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we talk about Fulham and their neutral stand, Neil. Um, yeah. Wimbledon were the original neutral stand. They had the neutral stadium practically, didn't they, at Selhurst? Because it was, you know, their, their, their season tickets were widely known as an easy, cheap way to, to get to watch at the time. Well, first division then Premier League football. Um, you know, yeah, it, that, exactly, that's that's yeah. what that's what they did. Well, it'd be Premier League by the time they're at Selhurst, but um, that was what they did. It's called marketing, I suppose. It's it's selling your product for a market base that's that's there. Um, I think a lot of a lot of the romanticism, in my opinion, my humble opinion, stems from the fact that all of these moves that we're talking about the Arsenal's and the, and the Millwall's to an extent, and, and others around the country shifting locations, yeah. they happened prior to the First World War and the. Football society kind of became set in concrete, didn't it? In that interwar, post-war period, nothing much changed. The, the odd club came in, the odd club went out, but things were much as they were. And I, I think that that became... I think people lost sight of the fact that prior to the First World War, it was quite a dynamic... Uh, football was quite a dynamic thing in that sense. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you could make the argument as well that, you know, the Second World War, you know, a lot of pe uh, like clubs lost their kind of base support because, yeah. you know the homes were bombed and they lived elsewhere. And, you know, there was a lot of movement in terms of supporters during that post-war period. But, you know, the clubs went under, you know, Accrington Stanley went under because, you know, they couldn't pay a tax bill. Clubs were going to the wall, you know, clubs were struggling, you know, and clubs were struggling to get into the league as well, you know. So a lot of non-league clubs, which, you know, a lot of people overlooked, ended up merging. It was the only way they could survive, like, you know, Dagenham and Redbridge. Dagenham and Redbridge. Red and Diamonds, yep, yep, et cetera, you yep. know, and, People yeah. still looked at them romantically, but MK Dons are kind of frowned upon. But, you know, who put up a fight against this move? Where do you stand on the idea? I mean, the German FA's put up a fight against this Leipzig side being Red Bull Leipzig, which is what mm. they would have wanted. They've had to find a way around that by calling themselves RB, which mm. I, I can't remember the German for it, Rasenball, or it means lawn grass 
uh, sports club or something of that kind, yeah. uh, grass ball club of some sort. Um, I mean, the, the, the naming of teams after products such as Red Bull, uh, and you see it in other sports. I'm mm. just just looking at a list here. There's various, um, you know, Mercedes Benz FC. Um, there must be a non-league club or in Welsh teams called Total Network Solutions now. Now New, mm. New Saints. Uh, and, and in Scotland, I remember there used to be Ferranti Thistle at one point. It became Meadowbank Thistle. Um, yeah, but Ferranti Thistle, um, that was that their um, history was the same as you know Thames Ironworks, etc. You know they were they were company side, and they were always a company side. And then they got um, the nod to go into the Scottish League and change their name to Meadowbank Thistle. They still played at the same stadium, but they just couldn't have the old company name. Like AFC Wimbledon, they were moved to Livingston, and you know it became Livingston. Um, yeah, for a while, um, you know that was very similar to the Milton Keynes move. Um, but it, yeah, going back to the Germany thing, you know, going, we'll come back to Medellin and that. But in Germany, they've always had this issue with um, sponsorship and logos, despite the fact you know you got you got your Bayer Leverkusen, Bayer Leverkusen, the big one, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, going back to the sponsorship, you know. Eintracht Brandsfrick in 1973, you know, people were in Kettering cars and, you know, Kettering and old Derek Dugan and, you know, Hitachi in Liverpool. But, you know, Eintracht, sorry, signed a deal with Jägermaster, of all people, for shirt sponsorship. Bundesliga refused to have it on their shirts. So they got around this by ditching their club crest and having the Jägermeister logo as their badge. Except it was no longer on the kind of left breast. It was now in the middle of the shirt. So it was really big. So I knew it was And Bayern Munich followed suit. I mean, you, you, if you do a search Bayern Munich about 1973, you'll see Bayern Munich didn't have a badge on their shirt. It just looked like they were in Adidas T-shirts. You had you know, the lines of Adidas written across. They were very much associated uh, with Adidas, yeah, weren't they? Yeah. But they did that as um, you know, a way of getting around the sponsorship. They'd have Adidas right across the shirts, and that's it. And Hibernian did something similar with Bootka in Scotland as well. But that's how they used to get around the rules about, you know, uh, and that's why you've got RB Leipzig, which is kind of a throwback to that era when shirt sponsorship first came in. I mean, this is PSV Eindhoven. I'm just looking at a list here as, as you're speaking. Mm. Um, Philips, Philips Sports Club. I don't know what the V stands for in Dutch, but it's Philips Sports Club Eindhoven. Mm. Um, I know you could argue that's a, probably a factory side when it began, but the association and the resources over over time, have, it's, been, it's been a mutual relationship. I and mean, Juventus in Italy, another one, Fiat tradition backed them with huge sums, didn't they? I mean, prior to the modern era, that was, that was, their, um, that was their route to wealth, you know? Yeah, I mean, you could take it to a really a logical logical step if that makes any sense that and makes that sense, yeah. crystal palace is still advertising that big exhibition in 1851 <laughs> that's where they got their name from you know it was you know the crystal palace in Hyde park moved to south london and years later you got a shitty football team with people think they're really hard wearing black going, uh, uh, uh. Um, you know so you know there is that kind of connection of, of the names as well except for wednesday you know because the company's always played on a wednesday you know that kind of thing there are the connections are still there lee rmi who played in the cup you know they were railway mechanics they are, yeah. yeah they still are a works team so you know some of the some people have kept, kept their kind of should we say their history or you know where they come from they remember where they come from but it's trying to dismiss that with these things like red bull just trying to get their name out there by doing the old f1 
thing of buying a club and putting their livery on that car kind of thing. There were whispers that Red Bull were interested in Swindon Town at one point. Um, Red Bull Swindon doesn't have quite the ring of, um, you know, uh, RB Leipzig, but maybe... There, maybe there's no uh, romance there, although I think Leipzig is the Swindon of Germany. <laughs> I don't know about a Red Bull Millwall. Would you think that would ever work, Neil? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I can't, I can't say it really. Not even Red Bull would give me all wings at this moment. So <laughs> oh dear, fantastic stuff. Uh, Before we go, there is the one you know that's kind of overlooked, which is probably the worst of the lot, and that's what happened to Clydebank in Scotland. You know, you Clyde had Bank. Adrianians who okay. went to the wall in very dodgy circumstances, yep. and the owner of Adrianians um, tried to enter another club called Airdrie United into the league. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he yeah. said no, so he went. He bought Clydebank and said, "Right, this is my team, Clydebank." Changed the name to Airdrie United, moved them to Airdrie, and you know, <laughs> Clydebank just went by the wayside. And then all of a sudden, you've got this new team, Airdrie United, who played exactly the same kit as Airdrieonians at the same place, and they've just just been allowed to change the name back to Airdrieonians. But to all extents and purposes, this is Clydebank under another name, um, and that yeah. often gets overlooked. Um, so you know, there's, there's two examples up in Scotland where this has happened um, and examples all around the world. And, you know, but some reason people think AFC Wimbledon are, are the patron saints of football. Um, I suppose history, his, history always begins just before you were born, doesn't it? That's when history was. And if you were born quite recently, you don't know any of these, these shenanigans, then um, your normal is what happens when you're in, in your kind of childhood and teens onward, really. So, kind that, of. I, I think I'm thinking, you know, history is always written by the victors. Um, I, I don't know who's won between AFC Wimbledon and MK Dons. Um, you know, there was that <laughs> thing a couple of weeks ago when they went above them in the league for the first time. Yeah. You saw all these posts saying, oh, the site every football fan, your know, true football fan will love, you know, AFC Wimbledon above MK Dons. And I'm just thinking, you know, at the end of the day, it is the perfect example of two ball men fighting over a comb. Why the hell would you want to claim you came from Wimbledon? They were a shit club. <laughs> they were a shit team. They were a nasty, nasty bunch of fuckwits. And, you know, all of a sudden, it's like history's been rewritten. You know, you, you think, you know, you're kind of protecting the old Sandinistas or something like that. You know, I fully expect the Shea Guevara post with Vinnie Jones' face on it in future years. You know, this this great, you know, utopian football club. And that's how all football clubs should be run. It shouldn't. They're both dangerous. Like, honestly, know, honestly, honestly. Having watched them on Tuesday night, I mean, Millwall weren't weren't any better. But if that's what I, you know, you, it's one of these things you see on on the online on the message boards. So isn't it time that we formed AFC Millwall? Get away! I don't know what this stewarding is going to be like at AFC Millwall. It's going to be like non-existent practically. Mm. Um, but if yeah, that's what AFC yeah. looks like, you wouldn't want to be watching that each week. I tell you that much. It was... I mean, you know, everyone says you know the clubs can be embarrassing at times. I think one of the few times I've been embarrassed by Millwall was when we played them in the cup. Um, years ago when yep. we were beaten 4-1 yep. you know, Jason Price even scored that's how bad they were <laughs> but um, you know they, they, they bought you know, that's the most away fans I'd seen in a long time I think they bought 3,500 yeah. Millwall bought hardly anyone no one was really interested in the game you know, it was a midweek kind of game you know, they bought lots of fans making lots of noise but you know Dino Standing was there bringing out greats who play for both sides you know it's like <laughs> No, they bloody did, and they play for Wimbledon. This is AFC Wimbledon. Well, you know, it, it was just embarrassing. Yeah, you know, you're falling over this club because you know they were a great. Why are you falling over? You don't do that with opposition sides. Oh, this is a great, another great who played for both. Here's Les Briley. He no. played for Wimbledon the Mill. So don't bring him out. You know, get on. It's a battle. But you know, the one thing I always remember, one thing I always tell people about AFC Wimbledon. 
was they were the worst team I've ever seen in my life. And it was summed up. <laughs> they won a free kick. And they were losing 2-0 at the time. They won a free kick. We had a one-man wall. We had a one-man wall, which was Mark Laird. They this free kick. That's a thin wall. They still managed to hit Mark Laird. How the hell anyone could hit Mark Laird from 10 yards? You know, it's an amazing football team. But I remember they were so bad, they scored with eight minutes to go to make, or sorry, two minutes to go to make it 2-1. And they got really noisy and excited. And then straight from the kickoff, we scored. And straight from the kickoff, we scored again. It's like, well, all right, you know, let's put a bit of effort in. As soon as we put an effort in, we score goals. You know, it's just, they were awful. It's like, we, side. it's like we all collude in this pretense that they're a proper football club. I mean, there, there was two blocks worth of them there on Tuesday night. And, and as you say, a very sparse den, you know, around the mm. remaining three stands. Um, which is as much about us and our form at the moment as anything. But I do know what you mean. There's a slight sense of collusion that we're all going to pretend that this is a romantic yeah. story and this is a proper it's, football club. It's the romantic vision. It's like it's the old thing, you know, the further you get away from history, you know, the more romantic or the less threatening people seem to be. You know, it's like the old Muhammad Ali, you know, mm. when he was in at his height, you know, yeah, Americans were scared of Muhammad Ali and what he stood for. Now everyone loved him. He's a national you know, hero now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the news coverage given to him when he died. You know, it's like, like, say, I'm not sure who I'm talking about. Castro died today, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was, died last night or died a week ago and it's only <laughs> announced, whatever, under old communist way. But, you know, it, it, there was this threat. You know, you always remember Castro as the threat and the Bay of Pigs, etc. You know, it's this old romantic figure. You know, he's now seen as, you know. Yeah, a, a statesman. A statesman. Yeah, yeah, a statesman. A load of, of bollocks, yeah. Yeah, but, you know. Well, I don't know which one you, you call AFC Wimbledon and MK Dons, but it's like the old Cuba, and you know, the further you get away with it, you, you get this different detachment to it. But it's, oh, and, you've really got me going now. And oh, little chats. And little chat was quite popular. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name these sections. It's all a load of bollocks. I'm not going to play the yeah, crazy old form. It's yeah. all a load of bollocks. That's what we're going to call it. It is. I'm, I'm, it's going to take me ages to calm down. I've been <laughs> ranting through Strictly. I've been ranting through X Factor. I've been ranting through oh, I'm a Celebrity. And do you know what? I may even watch them to start ranting. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much, Neil Andrews. Crazy horse that rant about AFC Wimbledon. If I ever need to fill up a podcast, I just call Neil and say the word AFC Wimbledon to him and off he goes. Fantastic, Fuckers. mate. Fuckers. <laughs> and I'm not going away with some dirty Northern punts to spit all over me. He spits over me. You've been listening to Octoon Millwall, the CBL Magazine podcast. That's the Millwall News this week, and we are out of here. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.